G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to Series 10 of This Week in Startups Australia. Series 10, Twista has a singular focus. We're identifying and sharing the story of Australia's world-changing startups. The startups that when they go from zero to one really do change the world. And not just the startups, the founders, the investors. Australia is stepping up with some of our brightest minds working hard to change the world. With a federal election two months ago and a big change of government, we're going to take a look at what it means for startups innovation, and the nation. It's question time on This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Zendesk. Zendesk helps startups build lasting customer experiences from the ground up with the Zendesk for Startups program. Learn more at zendesk.com twista. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by Our Crowd. Our Crowd finds companies with the greatest growth potential and brings them to you. They believe in their deals and invest in them too. Join the fastest-growing venture capital investment community at ourcrowd.com slash Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by User Testing. With User Testing, you'll understand it from your customer's perspective. Get real-time feedback real fast. Put yourself in your customer's shoes. Visit usertesting.com slash Twista for a free trial. User Testing, real human insight. At the start of May, we had a new special to go through the policies that the major parties brought to the federal election. Our panelists were, quite frankly, brutal in their assessment of a tired, inept, and unloved liberal government which had reached the end of its tether. And the voters of Australia did seem to agree. In a historic result, blue ribbon seats in Sydney and Melbourne fell to teal independents whose promises of probity, respect, and same climate policies, they resonated with the electorate. The parliament is more changed than any time in the 19 years that I've lived here. It's a time of opportunity and a time of crisis. We now know that the government finances are perilously stretched, that rampant inflation and supply chain shocks have the RBA using rate rises to kind of tap the brakes on the economy. We still have a raging pandemic. We got problems. To help us explore the landscape of this 47th parliament, its hopes and its challenges, we've invited two singularly talented individuals onto this Twista new special. Anne-Marie Elias is the newly minted CEO of Beckham Capital. We'll come to that in a moment. But it's more important to note that Anne-Marie is a major political operator, having worked most recently with the Commonwealth Department of Industry and with strong connections throughout both sides of politics. Anne-Marie, welcome back to Twista. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about Beckham Capital. So Beckham Capital is a private equity firm that exists to get capital and capability to underserved markets, which are the missing middle. 
That's SMEs, of which we've got about 2.3 million SMEs delivering 7.4 million jobs and $700 billion to the economy, yet 100% rely on bank debt to scale. And bank debt does not come with capability. So I joined Beckon in September last year, and you, you all know me well enough to know I'm an impact nerd from way back. So I moved Beckon to delivering advisory services to build capability of not-for-profits to access private capital. And that's my sweet spot. Awesome. Okay. Joining Anne-Marie is an old friend of Twister, Main Sequence Ventures partner, Phil Morrow. Hello, Mark. Welcome back to Twista. Awesome to be here. All right, folks, as you know, we have a lot on the plate. So let's dive in. Topic one, new government, new minister, new agenda. The 47th parliament is just having its first sitting week as we're recording this. The government has a great big agenda. There's climate change, there's aged care, there's a federal integrity commission. Where does innovation sit in that agenda? Anne-Marie. I think... We can't see innovation as something singular and in isolation. It has to go across everything. And I guess I'm here to remind people that not-for-profits are a big industry. Aged care is a multi-billion dollar industry, as is disability care. So to talk about innovation not going across government and across all of these issues, I think we're, we will fail again. So the importance is that we've got to have this innovation mindset. How do we innovate responses to aged care, to disability care, to food security, to affordable housing? Uh, so it is a big agenda, but I think innovation has to cut across everything and we need to especially innovate the not-for-profit sector. You know, we're hearing more and more not-for-profits cannot rely on government funds to deliver what they need to deliver but no one's moved them into accessing private capital. And I think that's super important. That's the innovation. Bill? I agree. I think innovation is free. Innovation is for everybody. Um, even though we have a very challenged financial environment at the moment, that, that's irrelevant to innovation. Innovation is all mindset and it needs to apply to everyone. It's not just about high technology, it's not just about web, you know, digital things, it's not just about disruption, which I think is the most poisonous word in, in, in innovation. It's about a mindset for everybody to think about how we can, how we can have impact, how we can make things better and do that together. So, I mean, listening to both of you and knowing that aged care is really almost first cab off the rank, it's that and climate change right now. We know that we want to have nurses in all of the aged care homes. We know that we don't have enough people to do all of the things that we want to do just in terms of bodies. And we'll come to bodies a little further on. Is that then creating the opportunity for innovation here because we have that problem? Does that mean there's an opportunity to think innovatively around it? I think I th I'm a startup guy. And so uh, in, in that sense, every problem is actually the opportunity for a business or an industry um, and, you know, the, the most important thing we can do right now is, is confront those problems, actually, you know, get our sensory networks out, look at what all the problems are, and then lean into them and start, start fixing them. And I think as a country, that's, uh, that's an incredible opportunity. And the more we look at it that way, the more it'll be a positive. And creating the incentives, right? Like the innovations in aged care have been there. There are robots, uh, you know, assistive robots that have been in Japan that have been carrying, lifting people to save, you know, the expense on care workers' backs. But it's also around loneliness 
And there has been some technology that has been brought into nursing homes for, de for dementia patients, you know, but there is a resistance among the aged care providers to embrace this and to, to really leap forward. And one person I want to keep an eye on is Mike Baird. You know, I think he, he the is The former trying, Premier of New South Wales. Former Premier of New South Wales is, one, is, one, is with one of the major ed, aged care providers. And, you know, I have a lot of, you know, hope in someone like him that can actually, you know, do the brave things in that sector. I know he's done stuff with, um, you know, uh, race dogs. What are they called? <laughs> greyhounds. <laughs> so, you know, he's brought greyhounds into care. And I think, you know, that's, that's such a dealing with two problems, you know, the, the discarded animals, but the, the people that are literally discarded in aged care. You know, I'm, I'm obviously being, this is a big topic for me because I've been caring for my parents for a decade and mum has been in aged care for a couple of years with dementia. You know, the iPhone has been my godsend. I have it on automatic answer and this last week when, when we have not been able to go and visit her and the nurses have been stretched, it's next to her bed, it automatically answers and my brothers and I have been able to talk to her. You know, this stuff is not hard. I heard about 10 years ago that if you put a fishing tank in a dining room with dementia patients, it increases their appetite. Mm. So like you said, innovation is not about technology. It's about people coming up with great new ideas. Sometimes it includes technology and, you know, technology is a great enabler. But how do we incentivise people to embrace it more so that we solve these problems better? I, th I think we need... Uh, a better series of stories around things like automation, which came up then. I, I think there's been this narrative of automation is bad. Automation means no more jobs for people because the robots are going to take over. And now here we are without enough people to do the jobs and Bring no on one wants robots. to do the jobs exactly, and please. we need the robots. What is really interesting, I think, about this is I think what we're identifying is, again, what we call the innovation mindset, that it's about first thinking about the problem differently, right? And then once you think about the problem differently, you can see your set of solutions differently. Are we seeing that kind of thinking being displayed by the government that we've elected? I mean, it's early days. It's very early days. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we're seeing um, some great signs there. I mean, the, the, the CSR report that came out yesterday, which actually looks at um, what are the big megatrends that are happening in the world. And again, it, as we said earlier, it's looking at those things um, either as something which is going to be very, very bad for the country if we don't, if we don't respond or something that's very, very good where Australia can be the source of, of, of those solutions. And, uh, and so I think if those, if those sorts of things are acted on, and it is, a, it is early days from the government, but there is a government document that's come out yesterday yes. that you know seems like a powerful way to start the thinking. And we'll link to that on the website. But it comes back to that old truism, you know, the Chinese character for crisis is the Chinese character for opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. And that we do need to embrace that. All right, let's go on now. The new minister for industry is someone that we all know, Ed Husick, because he, when he was not in government, was going to all the startup things, knows all of us, most of us by our first names. What is his role in this? What what can we expect from him? And Marie? You know, I'm a huge fan. So this is, um, I am so excited for Ed. He has been sitting back and watching and he has been involved. He cut his teeth about 10, 15 years ago at the same time I did in tech startup. And, you know, he is very inclusive. 
And the thing that I love about him is he's had nine years to watch and, you know, see the catastrophes that have happened. But, you know, being a member from Western Sydney, I think, is extremely important. I think... The first Muslim man in parliament, first I believe. First Muslim right? man in parliament to, to swear on the Quran as well. Yep. Um, but, you know, he's someone that I think will really be true to that phrase, leave no one behind. He will be thinking of the factory workers in Bankstown. Mm. He will be thinking about reskilling of people that have worked in particular industries that have to transition. And, you know, he won't suffer fools gladly from that point of view. You know, his brand of, of innovation and futurism is about taking everyone with him. And I think that's going to be a big signature of Ed's being Ed Husick being in this portfolio. And it's going to be so different to what we've seen for a very long time. I think we've seen a lot of tired rehashing of policies and, and ideas and things. But, you know, now's a real opportunity. He's got a massive budget in that portfolio, actually. If you strip it away and you just have a look at industry, science and technology, in fact, you'll see he has a really substantial portfolio and budget. The key for Ed right now is how he recalibrates that to reflect the need, to reflect not doing the same thing as the states and somehow actually starting to bring a very distributed ecosystem together with academia, industry, government and venture capital. Which is the intersection that you happen to sit in, Phil. So what are you looking for then? Yeah, you know, I... I, I I really hope we use this opportunity as a blank canvas to actually start, you know, start building good things. And, you know, I think I think one of the things that happens in society is we sort of um, uh, I'm trying not to swear here, but we do we 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 say terrible things about government. Everything they do is bad. You know, the, the question I always get asked by media is, "Tell me about all the bad things the government are doing." And this starts this debate, which basically keeps us in the mud and doesn't move us forward. And I think I think I'm excited to sort of have this opportunity to actually say, right, here's where we are in the world. Here's all the things that are happening. Here's what Australia is amazing at. Let's activate everybody and let's let's go to town. And you know, COVID was the most inspiring thing. Again, we all went through hell. But oh my God, as a society, look at what we did. Look at what we did better than most places around the world in terms of you know, rising to a problem uh, with innovation and sort of cohesion. Um, and if we do that around climate change and we do that about you know, aged care and we do that about healthcare and we do that about sovereign capability and all these things, that's going to be amazing. So I think storytelling is going to be a really important part of his job, like setting setting the tone, listening to people, as you say, Anne-Marie, it's like if you, if you get down into the trenches, hear what the people are saying, here's what, hear what's already happening yes. and then amplify it um, and get people radically communicating. That's my, that's my theme of the, the year. Um, then I think we can do great things. When we return, we will confront the continuing problem of the shortage of qualified workers in Australia's growing tech sector. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. The fastest growing companies have great products and great customer service. 
You build the great product, and Zendesk will help you build great customer experiences that make your customers come back, just like Jason Calacanis. Jason has a very public obsession with amazing customer service and relies on Zendesk for his launch syndicate. Jason's limited partners use Zendesk to reach out to him about each of his deals. Zendesk also handles inbound inquiries from startups looking for investors. Zendesk helps Jason provide the kind of customer service he demands. Apply for Zendesk for Startups program to get their industry-leading customer service software free for six months. You'll also get access to Zendesk's community of startup founders and partners, plus dedicated onboarding guidance and support. Zendesk has everything you need to deliver the amazing customer experiences that will make your product a success. To learn more about Zendesk for Startups, visit Zendesk.com slash Twista. And we're back on Twista's pre-election news special with Beckham Capital CEO Anne-Marie Elias and Main Sequence Ventures Phil Moore. Topic two, we need bodies badly. Now, earlier this week, I had a chance to do a lengthy interview with Palmer Luckey, who founded Oculus back in 2012 and has recently founded a defense startup called Anderil. And he's coming over to Australia right now to recruit both because he's got this insane underwater autonomous vehicle project that he's working up with the ADF, but also for projects that are going to be delivered to Andrew's customers in the USA and other places. When he comes here to recruit, is he going to find the engineering talent he wants? Because he, he seems to think that he's going to. He reckons that Australia is a strong source for tech talent, but do we even have enough for ourselves, much less for Americans who are coming to look for our talented folks? So this is a real problem and an opportunity. Let's sort of stick with that yep. theme. Um, the, in the emerging areas where you kind of need engineers and you need researchers and you need innovators uh, that, that we're working in, in in main sequence, we're seeing people have uh, headhunters come at them sort of multiple times a week trying to take them out of the company and also the country. Um, and I think we really need to be on the front foot there because I think um, there there are the people here. There is the talent um, uh, in a spectacular way. I mean, world-leading innovators and technologists and engineers and researchers and thinkers and creative people, by the way. And that's also a big area for me. And um, uh, they, ne they need to stay here and build the industries here, but it's just going to be very easy for them to go. I think we need to be more convicted, more aggressive. We need to, we need to be pulling American mm -hmm. companies here and American talent here. And, you know, that means we need to do things about immigration, you know, we need to make that a lot more possible, a lot more easy to do. How do we get ourselves over the immediate, like, oh my God, they're going to be taking jobs away from Australians. And it's like, actually, when, we are, when we're all experiencing this massive labor shortage, our first go-to point is, oh, but they're going to be taking jobs from, from Australians if we open the gates well, to immigration. I think that's just, that's just a, that, I think if we just react to that, uh, we won't win because we'll be incremental. Uh, you know, for me, the 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 way to keep people, the way to have that sort of gravitational pull, is to build amazing new industries and companies that people want to work for, and that's how people will 
will be taken away from us because people will people will say to them, "Hey, mm. come to California. The budget's bigger. The opportunity's bigger. Look at all the brands you'll get to work with. Look at the opportunity canvas that you've got." We should be saying that on the front foot so that people come here because many of these industries where people will be doing that over the next five years actually don't exist yet. So we can, we can be heavier here first and make more opportunity. Anne-Marie, what should we be doing about our... I want to scream, right, because we've known about this problem for at least a decade. Yes. Right? And we've been talking about it on the show. We have brought all these overseas students in and then we've pushed them away, right? So we haven't helped them stay in Australia and build a career. I mean, I literally want to scream and then I want to cry, right? Then I want you to remember we have the most overqualified Uber drivers and taxi drivers in the effing world, didn't swear, mm. right? But that is swearable stuff, right? And you've got organisations like With You, With Me and Refugee Talent, which is now rebranded as Gateway to Talent, who are looking at hiving the talent that actually exists that's just been latent and, and living there. You know, when I heard this week that the ADF, you know, was going to continue supporting aged care, again, I want to scream because it's like there are so many veterans living across the whole of the country, living in regional areas that are unemployed, veterans and their wives that have not, you know, I've been saying this for 10 years, that have not been reskilled to move into care work. So I, I don't buy it. We've had that global uh, talent visa recently that I think did a reasonably good job. Um, you know, my main concern there is that we bring people in and then what do we do once they're here? Like where's the support networks to really help them fly here? And I don't think we've got that part right. But my view is let's not, let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Let's have a look at the under utilised talent that exists in this country, the migrants, the refugees, the defence personnel, people on the autism spectrum. But also also people that people that currently work in a coal power station in Newcastle and, you know, people that uh, are agricultural workers and, you know, how do we, you know, how do we, they all have skills which are absolutely mappable, but they don't, they don't think to look and we don't think to ask and we certainly don't tell a story that sort of brings them into the, the new world. And I'm going to remind you of something. A number of years ago when a particular car manufacturer was closing down, you had a brilliant idea and that was to go to Victoria and to sit with the workers that just got their payouts and say, what do you want to do? Mm. And that's the sort of stuff that we need, yeah. right? But now not what do you do with your money, but what do you do with your skills? Yeah. You know, how exactly. do we do this yeah. in a really cool way? Yeah. And that's the question we will want to be asking of coal miners at some point in this decade because we will yeah. at some point eventually bite the, bite the bullet and start to wind down coal. And well, does that mean they're going to go become lithium miners? It doesn't mean they're yeah. going to go become engineers. All right. I'm going to give you both a magic wand to use on the 47th parliament, all right? You can create the best possible policies for startups or really if you want to go anywhere else, you can go anywhere else with that, with the settings of the government that we have elected. So you can't change that. Where would you start? Phil, what policies would you create? I'm not going to go for a policy. I'm going to go for a mindset. Okay. Mm. Um, I, I – I, I, the more I thought about this preparing for this morning, I thought you know, what I would like to see is Startup Australia, like a, uh, a country that thinks like a startup mm -hmm. that's doing customer development in the early days. 
And I think that's where someone like Ed and you know how we've seen him operating could be incredible because you know in startups who do customer customer development early on we go and speak to customers we say what are you doing what do you need what are the problems and as you said Amory he's been doing that for 10 years and yeah. and you know kind of he's ready so but then but then what we do with that as a startup is we we tell a story we lie to beacon we drag the world towards us so that we as we start to build that value and we build the movement around it and I think, you know, I would love Australia to be the country that sort of roars out of COVID and all kinds of planetary problems that we've got with a with a future. And like I say, I don't think that needs to be, I, I'm more about that than about, hey, we need $2 billion to do X and Y and Z. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think there's just so much more power that can come from building, building a movement, telling a story. And... You know, in some ways, it's easier to use the magic wand for Jedi mind magic because that's basically what right. you're doing. It's like yeah. these are the droids you're looking for, yeah, right. not those. <laughs> all right, Anne Marie, what about you? We've given you the magic wand. You know a lot about how government works. What do you want to do? I want to bring together a, a siloed and, and distributed ecosystem. I want to see innovation powering industry, academia. I want and government, right? Like government's got a long way to go in innovating as hmm. well. But most importantly, I want to see VC work more closely with government. You know, I think that's critical now. Like government has funded incredible startups that now need scale, mm. right? And I don't want them going to bank debt. It's not in Australia's interest to go to bank debt. And consider this, a lot of uh, Indigenous founders are not going to have the mortgage to be able to apply for that bank debt. Um, I think we've got... You know, a massive, we've got $4 trillion in assets in Australia, right? So, and then we've got all this need. I think we just need to prioritise now and say that, frankly, it's not good enough that today in 2022, we are now almost 4 million Australians living below the poverty line. And a lot of those are the airline workers, right? You know, I, I still cry thinking about the Qantas workers who are digital who, who actually have skills that can transfer to other industries and I'm not sure that that actually happened. But there's going to be more of this, you know, and we need to act faster. You know, I, I want to see things, for, for us to have learnt from things like the resistance to telehealth, right, mm. and how critical that is now. But now how can we you know, bring that innovation to, to more spheres. Wow. Okay. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia with two amazing panelists giving us their very best on what we can change. We will be right back. As rising interest rates, inflation, and global complexity throw stock markets into turmoil, savvy investors are turning to alternative investments. Our crowd makes it easy for you to diversify your investments into a variety of expertly vetted, high-growth private companies across stages, geography, and industries like biotech, cybersecurity, and renewable energy. Investments like these used to be reserved for the elite institutional investors, but our crowd has helped sophisticated investors from over 90 countries across the globe invest in growing tech companies. Every month, our crowd vets hundreds of companies across the globe 
then brings you a select few identified for their outsized growth potential. Our crowd backs these investments. They commit their own capital and they leverage their relationships with multinational corporations and global investment leaders to help drive their portfolio company's growth. Discover investment options beyond the stock market. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community in the world at ourcrowd.com Australia. That's ourcrowd.com Australia. Individual results may vary. There's no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. Invest wisely. And we're back on this Twisted News special with Phil Morrill of Main Sequence Ventures and Anne-Marie Elias of Beck and Capital. Topic four, inflation ruins everything. So the headline inflation rate was revealed to be 6.1%. The, the actual important rate was 4.9% in the June quarter. That is as high as it has ever been. Wages are only rising half as fast. And so far, that means your average employee has gone back to 2011 wage levels in terms of real wages. On the day that this episode's going to be released, the RBA will raise the cash rate by another half a percent. So what does this mean? I mean, everything's getting more expensive. Okay. But for startups, what does that mean for runway? What does it mean for hiring and retention? What does it mean for planning? Phil, when you have startups that are working in this environment and trying to plan ahead or you're trying to raise money for them, how do they do that? You know, I think I think we're all trying to put every sensor we've got out there to try and understand what's happening and try and try and try and assess what the what the world is like now and what the conditions are like. And I think I think there's been a lot of leaps to comparing this to the financial crisis, and um, we've, you know, we feel like it's different. Like, the, you know, there are things about this world that are different. There's a there's a kind of roaring back going on, even though inflation is happening. We're kind of roaring back with, you know, I don't know if you've been on a plane recently, <laughs> but like everyone in Australia is everywhere else in the world now doing business, right? It's either spending money as a tourist or they're actually doing something for their company. So there's there's still a lot of economic activity. We've got full employment, even though, of course, you know, it really depends on how you measure it. And are there are a lot of sort of people in part-time gigs, et cetera. But there's, yeah, what we do know is every single company we look at, are they're hiring and their problem is how do I hire more people and pay more people and pay more tax. And, yeah, that's what that... They, so there's a there's a there's a pull towards better economic activity. What what we're we're just spending time with our companies to make sure that first of all they keep their eye on the fundamentals of their mm-hmm. business. I think it would be a big disaster right now just to shrink everything back and just kind of hibernate for the for for an apparent winter that you. Although we see the big tech companies doing precisely that, where Apple and Google and Meta and Microsoft all have essentially hiring freezes right now. Right, right, that's right. But I think we're not seeing that in startups. You know, no. we have, we've got it, we've got exactly the same job to do. Uh, our biggest threat is when people do lift their head above the noise uh, of what's going on at the moment and go, mm, how's that company going? They go, oh, it hasn't done much in the last year. That would be terrible. That's the worst, the worst currency you can spend yeah. in start in the startup land. So, the, the, so we're just making sure people have got enough runway, and that may mean things like 
hiring freezes or whatever, but it hasn't actually so far in our portfolio. The thing that troubles me the most, I think, is that um, yeah, many of our companies are well-funded and many of them have, for example, big capital expenditure plans, which would be good for Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that's what's being frozen right now because this is not the moment to decide to spend $100 million on something and shorten your runway dramatically. You'll keep that $100 million uh, and do something else with it. So... Um, so there's definitely some adjustment, um, but I think, yeah, at, I, at the moment I have an optimistic view that the company should be able to still move forward confidently. So, Anne-Marie, you do a lot of work, again, with this the 2 million SMEs or 2.5 million SMEs that are sort of the core of the working base of Australia. The danger here, particularly because of the rise in interest rates and the rise of people, what people are paying in mortgages, is that we will have a growing class of basically invisible working poor, people who are poor because they're putting all of their money now into their houses. Do we have to think about that in terms of policy settings, particularly around where SMEs are? A hundred percent, you know, because people are going to be tightening their home budgets so well, that Phil's saying that they're doing this around actually they're spending plans for the big for the companies as well so yes yeah so and I think everyone's just got to curb their enthusiasm we've got to be modest it's a time of modesty I think you've got to focus on what you're really good at um, you know we're working with SMEs that already have a good turnover they're you know they're they're not desperate for any money but they want to grow and this is really critical so how do we support them? to have an adequate runway, but also to focus their budgets on the stuff that's actually going to help them scale. You know, so it's it's a lot of focusing. You know, one thing that would help a great deal is government procurement because government never stops spending. Right. Right. Yeah. And so opening up government procurement to startups and SMEs will help keep that going. I've heard this idea before. That is not a new idea. I thought we, do we not have any of those processes in place for government? either at the state or the national level, I'm getting a blank look from (laughs) you. (laughs) My mapping shows that there's a lot of focus on early stage and so there's a lot of really cool funding programs for that and then there's uh, some accelerators and incubators, although I think that's winding down, and then there's the business growth funds. And in between that, there's a focus on commercialisation of research, which is great because there wasn't for a very long time, but there's still that missing middle, right? And and these are the ones that, that I keep raising, which are they're they're successful. They've got a good turnover. They've they've got stable, you know, income and staff. But they need, you know, they need to scale. And in order to do that, they need investment. And in order to do that, they need to get their shit together major because they're they they've got old mate agreements in place, and all of that has to be presented in a way that someone sees them as an investable option. You know, the other thing is to try and keep people to their core business because everyone wants to scale and diversify quickly, but that's the sort of thing at this point in time. I wouldn't be diverse, you know, encouraging anyone to diversify. Just do really well in your spot, in your industry, and scale there before you start breaking into other industries. Because what I've seen for SMEs that do that is that other industries have other demands and then that makes them you know, digress. Mm, yeah, it divides their attention. And I mean, that's solid advice generally for any startup is to stick to your knitting, particularly if you're in adverse situations. All right, 
Final question. Now, the big theme for Series 10 is world changing, right? That we are looking at and identifying 10 startups in Australia that as they scale, literally change the world. So I want each of you to tell us about a startup in your own portfolios that fits that bill. Anne-Marie. <laughs> My favourite is Slurry Tub. And they're a bunch of builders that got sick and tired of watching the slurry being thrown into the ground on building sites. So they came up with um, Slurry Tub, which is like a, uh, I don't know if you remember those old plastic recycling bins. Mm -hmm. So it's that with a, uh, a filter that sits in it. So you throw the slurry in that and you come out with clean water. Mm. So they are, they are just amazing. They're focusing on the building industry because that's where the slurry is being thrown. They're currently raising $2 million and they are the future because it's about the environment. It's about you know an, an industry which is still old, old world in a lot of ways but can actually change the dynamic of, of saving the environment every day if we apply that. Now, one of the challenges for Slurry Tub is they've got the owner builders buying the product, but the tradies are not necessarily using it. So there's massive education to be done. But, it, you know, I think I actually went out and visited them at the building show and to see all these builders actually interested in doing that now, they're the type of SME that I want to scale into mining. I imagine all the slurry there. But I know once they hit mining, there'll be other demands on them. Oh, we want you to take this out of the, you know, water. So, for example, when when, we, when they scaled to the UK, UK wants the pH taken out of the water. So that's now going back to the drawing board and developing further a product like that. And if you just remember, a few years ago, these guys were just a bunch of builders, right? But I love them because they lived experience, they saw a problem, they felt passionate enough about it to solve it. And that, to me, is, is world-changing. And construction pollution globally is an enormous problem, right? So if you yeah. do something that reduces that and you do change the world. All right, Phil. So, well, I, I just want to respond to that a little bit first because I think that's a really good example. You've got, you've got people on the ground who really know what problems need to be solved in the building environment. They've figured out how to fix it. Now, what happens when you kind of zoom out on that and you actually think about the market that they're doing that within and you help that whole industry kind of reinvent itself. So that means they as a business are in a much more fertile environment. They get a lot more opportunity. They can make a lot more money, build a bigger, build a bigger business. But to your point, Mark, it's also an opportunity for us to actually change the supply chain of building, to yes. actually change what materials are used so that they're more sustainable. And I bet you if we could sit here right now and make a list of 200 Australian companies who are primed and ready to answer that call. And, you know, yeah. on the procurement issue, it's, it's not even so much. I think when people think about procurement, they think about, uh, you know, uh, the New South Wales government getting an AWS account or something oh. like that, right? <laughs> but I actually think what's much more interesting is actually saying, well, okay, if we're going to create a new building market, who's doing interesting things there and how can we just start to, allow those companies to rise. Would you like to know about my company now? I would. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, I'm very excited about one of our newer companies called Samsara Eco, who are, they have a, a platform which delivers infinite plastic recycling. Now, anyone that 
has looked at the side of a um, you know a, a bottle of soda or something will think that that already exists. You know, we've seen language about you know 100% recyclable and and so forth. Um, it's actually just not done. It's all um, it's all a little bit of a hack today, and most of the recycling that happens is is high energy, high emission type of activity. And in the end, it's the thing that's keeping afloat the fossil fuel industry to make these materials. What Samsara does is they've basically taken uh, an enzyme which evolved in a Japanese rubbish dump to eat polymers and break them down into the original monomers. <laughs> oh my God, it's the Godzilla of oh plastic. Oh my God, I love and it. It's, and, uh, and they effectively break, they've, they've accelerated evolution so that that happens in 10 minutes, not 200 years. And they can make virgin plastic again, or actually anything else that fossil fuels make out of plastic. So you've got billions and billions of tons of raw material, which now isn't landfill and isn't waste. Mm. It's like crude oil under the ground that we can mine now. <clears throat> and that is uniquely Australian. That's going to be a that's going to be obviously a global opportunity to solve. Wow. And, and it's going to get every municipality that has a, a waste field thinking very carefully right. about how they monetize that waste field. Right. Yes. So oh. That is truly world-changing. All right, Anne-Marie, Phil, thank you for joining us on this new special on This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you so much. Thank you. Experience what your customer experiences with user testing. Whether you're launching a new product, prototype, or marketing campaign, you'll get video feedback straight from the people you want to reach most. The user testing Human Insight platform lets you understand it all from their perspective. And it allows you to target your exact audience, ask any question or request to perform tasks, and most valuably, get a window into their world. Unlike focus groups, which can take weeks or even months to deliver results with user testing, you get to see real reactions and hear real opinions really fast, in real time, at the speed that business demands. And very quickly, you get insights into what's working and what's not, so you can adjust your message, refine your UI, and understand exactly how people are responding to and interacting with your product, service, or brand. The result? You feel what the customer feels, so you can build the best experience imaginable. For a free trial, visit usertesting.com twista. User testing, real human insight. Big thanks to Twista sponsors Zendesk, Our Crowd, and User Testing. More thanks to Anne-Marie Elias and Phil Morrill for taking time to come on to our show. Additional thanks to Murray Herbs and Bluebell Ray at UTS Startups. They generously offered us the space where we recorded this show. This show was written and produced by Mark Pesci and beautifully mixed by Luke Station. Come visit our website at thisweekinstartups.au. It's got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, and all the links to all the stories. So check it out at thisweekinstartups.au. Next week, we'll take a deep dive into the biggest news in startup land this year, Sydney's ambitious Tech Central project. That's coming up next week. And until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening. <laughs>